Well, it's, uh, it's the season of a lot of things, always is, every time Christmas comes around. There's lots of things that fill our minds about Christmas, that fill our calendars and our activities. Uh, it's also the season, tis the season, for corny, cheesy Christmas movies. And, I mean, there's just about no end to them. You know, there's even a, a site that ranks the worst Christmas movies. You can go on there and find, you know, like the, the ranking of what uh, people have agreed are the worst possible Christmas movies to watch, and yet we also we keep watching them, you know. And every year there's something else added to it. Um, one movie that is consistently on that list is a movie called Jingle All the Way, and it features none other than the Terminator, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in, in this movie. And uh, he's always... He's stretched too thin. Like, I mean, who isn't, right? Who's not overwhelmed with everything? Uh, and he, but he always goes around saying, I promise. I promise I'll be there. I promise I'll do that. And, and unfortunately, uh, this especially happens to his little boy, who's you know, always wanting him to do things uh, specific to the Christmas season, take him here, be there, do this, this activity. And he always says, I promise but unfortunately, uh, he always lets him down. Spoiler alert. You know, not that you probably want to see it after I gave it such a ringing re- uh, review. But um, yeah, he always lets his little boy down along with other people. And yet he continues to say, I promise, I promise, I promise. And like that in that movie, unfortunately, life, life is full of example after example of broken promises all through life. Your life, my life, life in general, there's example after example of, of broken promises. And unfortunately, that's even true of, of Christmas time. Many times at Christmas, it's amplified uh, because we, you know, we build up so much around this time of year. We build up so many expectations you know, we have our own expectations. Others have expectations of us. We have expectations of the season in general, like what it's going to do emotionally and in our hearts and in our minds. And so often we build things up so high that it's just about impossible for anyone, including ourselves, to deliver on those promises. So, yeah, broken promises. That's something that we're all too familiar with with. But thankfully, we can all be encouraged, and I I hope and pray you are, in knowing and remembering that Christmas is actually all about promises kept. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the true heart and spirit of Christmas, promises kept. And specifically, I'm talking about the promises that God kept by sending His one and only Son to us. 2 Corinthians one twenty says this, All of God's promises, all of them, all of the promises that we can know and that are recorded in His Word, all of God's promises have been fulfilled or kept in Christ with a resounding yes, And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. 
what a reality that is. I mean, you think of all the myriad of promises that are contained in God's Word, cover to cover, that He has made throughout the centuries. And this verse accurately says all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. They've all been kept, all with a resounding yes. And that's what we want to focus on throughout this brief Christmas series. We want to focus on just some, just a very, very small sampling of the fact that God has kept his promises. And we want to talk about some of those promises that have been kept, specifically through Christ, through what we call Christmas. And as we start with uh, this, this series today, um, the first promise I want us to focus on is the promise of presence. Not presence with a T, like under the tree. Uh, so often that's what we think of with Christmas, and that's where our focus goes. And there is so often the case of broken promises, because that's what we're looking for, and that's what we're hoping in. No, I'm, I'm talking about presence, the promise of presence. Specifically, I'm talking about the promise of restored presence. The promise of restored presence. Sometimes focusing on our past and, and on the past in general makes our experience in the present more precious, more meaningful. You know, when we think back uh, at bad things that have happened, uh, we don't like to do that, but sometimes it's helpful because it makes our present that much sweeter, you know? And I'm sure if we took the time, we would be able to hear from, from many people, from you, uh, about some really awful, terrible Christmases that you would really love to never think about again. I think we've all been there. I think we all have those. Um, but sometimes it's helpful to go back and think about, oh, you remember how terrible that one Christmas that year was? Because it makes this Christmas so much sweeter. And when it comes to our history, humanity's story, that's what history is, we are hit with a big problem almost right away. When we look back at the origin story of humanity, we're hit with a really big problem. Here's what the problem was. Man was created perfect. We all know that, right? You know that. We were created perfect, but that didn't last long because man chose to rebel against their creator, against God. And the one thing that they were told, Adam and Eve, were told not to do, they did. They rebelled against their creator. They rebelled against his commands, his holiness, and then everything was broken. That, That unhindered, perfect fellowship they had as perfect Creatures with their perfect creator was instantly and just permanently destroyed and damaged. So the presence they enjoyed when they were created was interrupted and altered by their rebellion and their sin. And we're told in the beginning pages of of the Bible and the beginning pages of our story that when Adam and Eve rebelled, when they chose to sin they immediately hid from God. The one that they had waited on however long 
the, the time frame was from the time they were created to the time they rebelled. We're not sure exactly how long that was. But however long that was, they enjoyed amazing, perfect fellowship where God would come down every evening and walk with them through the garden and talk to them. Imagine what that would have been like. We, we hardly can. But that's what happened. But then when sin entered by their choice, by their action, that changed. And instead of waiting eagerly for the Creator to come down and walk with them, they couldn't hide fast enough. And they tried to cover themselves against His holiness because their own holiness had departed. And God comes down and He confronts them and He he confronts the great tempter, Satan. And He even has to kill an innocent animal to make better coverings because they couldn't even cover themselves. Both of which are a pretty good and clear, powerful picture of our condition as humans and, and why the gospel is needed, right? And then as that horrible, tragic part of the story comes to a, a close with Adam and Eve, at the end of Genesis 3, here's what happens. And I invite you to look at that with me. Genesis chapter 3 Verses 22 through 24 is what I'm going to read. Genesis 3, 22 through 24. And here is the big problem as it relates to man's presence with God. God's presence with man that was a reality but got horribly broken by sin. Genesis 3, 22. The Lord God said, Since the man has become like one of us, speaking within the Trinity, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. In other words, we can't let him live in this state forever. We can't allow him to, to live eternally in this broken state, broken off from us. We can't allow, we can't fathom allowing our presence now to be interrupted and damaged and broken forever. We've got to do something. We've got to intervene. This can't be allowed to continue forever like this. Verse 23. So, the Lord God sent him, Adam and Eve, mankind, humanity, away. The Lord God sent him away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Verse 24, He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. So what we have, the big problem here is, we have a God we need more than anything, but a God that can't be in the presence of sin. That's the problem. You see that, right? We have a God who is perfect and completely, utterly holy and therefore cannot be in the presence of sin at all. Can't allow it. And yet we need this God. And He desires 
fellowship and relationship with us. Even in the midst of our sin and our brokenness, he desires fellowship. That's why before this, before this pronouncement, before this judgment, which contains a whole lot of mercy, by the way, hope you saw that, before that, when Adam and Eve sinned and when they hid from the sound of the Lord God walking, the text tells us that he called out for Adam and looked for him. He pursued us, even in our brokenness and our fallen state. But the problem remains, the problem of sin, the problem of broken fellowship and interrupted presence. Interrupted presence. And that continued and it continued, and it continued. Man was driven out, not just from Eden, but from the fellowship and the presence with their Creator that they had enjoyed before sin occurred. And even with those close to God, as as humanity continued and grew, even with those close to God, those that faithfully served and obeyed Him, the problem of separation the lack of real or full presence continued to be a big problem. I want you to, to look with me at Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we're going to focus in on verses 20 through 23. Exodus 33, 20 through 23. A little bit of context here. Now we're going to be talking about Moses. And Moses great, great leader of Israel, obedient to God, faithful. He made a request of God. He said, God, I, I, want, to, I want to see all of your glory. I, I, want, I want to fully see you. No hindrance. No veil separating us. I want to see you as you are. I want, to, I want to just comprehend and I want to intently gaze at all of your glory. Please show me your face. Show me your glory. Show me all you are, God. It's a good desire to have, right? That's a, that's a great request. And here's what God's reply was to Moses. Exodus thirty-three twenty. Here's what God said. You may not look directly at my face. For no one may see me and live. And the Lord continued, Look, stand near me on this rock, and as my glorious presence passes by, notice he didn't say as it lingers, as, as you see all of my glorious presence and all of its, its splendor and the full weight of it. No, he said, as my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock. And cover you with my hand until I have passed by. There's tenderness there. There's tenderness. There's grace. Verse 23, he says, Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Don't you just feel the the weight of sadness there? I mean, as, as tender... And gracious as God was, and as amazing as it would have been even to see the, the parting glory of God, there's still, there's still sadness there, isn't there? Don't you see the weight of the problem? Here's Moses rightly desiring, as we all should, to behold the full glory of God. Nothing holding it back. 
nothing between us. That's the kind of desire we all need. But the problem remains. God said to Moses, I, I hear your desire. We can kind of insert even, and I, I approve of your desire. I'm glad for you desiring this. That, that blesses my heart, Moses, but, but I love you too much to allow what would happen. No one, not even you, can see me in all of my glory with all of your sin and live. And I still have too much for you to do. I still have too much to do through you. The problem. Broken, interrupted presence. But thankfully, the story, our story, does not end there. Because with the problem, there was a great promise. There was a great promise given by our great promise-keeping God. Here's what the promise was. And first, I want to draw your attention to Leviticus 26, 11 through 12. Leviticus, not exactly something that is uh, commonly in a Christmas message. You know, I don't know how many Christmas messages you've heard where Leviticus was referenced, but uh, I promise you, see what I did there? Promise? Promise you, and this is one I can keep, there's a point, there's a reason. Leviticus chapter 26 11 through 12, the first passage we're going to look at that points to a great and necessary promise given in the midst of this big, big problem. Leviticus 26, 11. Here's what God promises. Keep in mind the problem that we just talked about. He says this, I will place my residence. Literally, he's saying, I will tabernacle. I will tabernacle. Among you. I will place my residence. I will tabernacle among you. And I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God. And you will be my people. It's a great promise. It's a needed promise. But how how could this happen when the problem of sin that interrupts that presence still remains? Well, here's how. Isaiah 7.14. This is, this is definitely a familiar Christmas passage. This is one that's on all kinds of Christmas cards, right? And uh, really, we just sang about this earlier. Isaiah 7.14. God says this through his, through his prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive have a son and name him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. Or literally in the Hebrew, with us is God. And see, there's so much contained here in this promise. The virgin will conceive. And that had to happen so that the one coming, that this Emmanuel that was promised, would not be born into sin. Had to happen. We had to have a sinless Savior, a sinless mediator. That's what we needed. And the virgin birth accomplished that. That's why everything hinges on the virgin birth of Christ. Had to be absent of that sin nature that came through Adam. So that's the promise. This great and glorious promise 
promise that, that the Lord himself would do what no one else could do. That no one, no matter how great they were or holy they, they were or, or what they achieved, no matter how obedient they were, they could not bring this about. The Lord himself had to do it and it came from God being with us. Not only would God do it, God would actually come and be with us, dwelling with us, tabernacling among us. A promise that had never been given before and that only could be kept by God himself. And with that in mind, I want to draw your attention. I want us to focus on the way the promise was kept. It wasn't an empty promise. It wasn't just a, a great, encouraging promise. Oh, wow, that's so, that's so encouraging. That's so hopeful. I mean, it was. But no promise, no matter how great, is really great if it's not kept, right? I mean, a, a promise is only powerful and only beneficial if it's actually kept. If not, it's just empty words. So thankfully... Thankfully, this wasn't just a great, grand promise without any power. This was a promise that was kept. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, another very familiar Christmas passage that completely correlates to the promise given centuries earlier in Isaiah chapter 7. Matthew 1, 21 through 23. This is with Joseph and you know, he hears, he sees, he knows now that, uh, that Mary is with child. They're betrothed. They haven't been married yet. He has a hard time with that. We understand. We can forgive Joseph. You know, we can, we can I think, sympathize with him and what he's going through. And Joseph, being someone who wants to observe the law, the, the text tells us right before this passage that he decided to break off the engagement to really give her a letter of divorcement because that's what took place. If you were betrothed in this culture, you actually had to divorce your betrothed to end the betrothal. It was much more than what we think of with our modern engagement. And because he's thinking, okay, Mary's been unfaithful. Mary has, has done this really impure thing and she's sinned. I can't be a part of that. I can't, I can't you know, be party to that. But I don't want to bring her out in front of the whole town and, and all the religious leaders and have her stone, which the law demands, because that's what was required in the case of what everybody assumed was going on with Mary, in the case of adultery, that she would be taken before the whole community and stoned to death, and that Joseph would have been the one to cast the first stone. He didn't want to do that, so he said, I'll just do this quietly. I'll, I'll break this betrothal quietly. I'm trying to do the right thing here. But then the angel came and said, no, Joseph, you don't need to be afraid of what, what's going to happen. You don't need to worry about what people are going to say. You don't need to be afraid to take Mary as your wife and to raise the child that she's carrying because it's not the way you think it is. What, what happened here is not what you're assuming happened. This is all from God. Verse 21 he says this, she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, he's the promised one. He's the Messiah. You're going to be the adoptive human father to the divine Messiah. He will save his people. 
from their sins. All that separated you and all of your ancestors from God, from your Creator. All that interrupted and damaged that presence that God wants to restore. Guess what? The son that your betrothed is carrying, he's going to be the one to restore it. Verse 22. Here's the promise kept portion. Verse 22. Now all this took place to fulfill, to keep the promise, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. We just read it, Isaiah seven fourteen. See, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And here's another amazing, amazing passage that shows how this promise of Emmanuel was kept. The promise of presence restored was kept. John chapter 1, verse 14. John writes this absolutely magnificent statement. The Word, the Word, who... Earlier in this passage, he, he clearly identifies as being with God, but also being God. What, what God the Father is, is true of the Word. The Word was with God in fellowship, in partnership, and relationship, and was also God. Speaking, of course, of Jesus. He says in verse 14, "...the Word became flesh." Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. The Word became flesh and dwelt, and that's the same Word as was promised in Leviticus. That's literally tabernacled. The Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And John says, we observed, that that actually means gazed intently on. Remember, I, I want you to remember back to Moses. Remember, he asked God, show me your glory. Let me see all your glory. Please, show me your face. Show me all you are. Don't hold anything back. What did God tell him? We just read it. No, you can't see my face and live. But now, here, about Jesus, the beloved disciple says, we beheld or observed, we intently gazed at His glory. What a great contrast that is. What a glorious, amazing contrast going from what Moses was told to what John said happened, what he was able to do. We gazed intently at His glory, which before before Christ had to be hidden. The glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18 says this, equally as magnificent. No one has ever seen God. That's speaking of the Father. No one has ever seen God, parentheses, the Father. Okay? The one and only Son who is Himself God and is at the Father's side, He has revealed him. He's made him known. He's made him observable. He's put him on display. That's why he told Philip when he was getting ready to go back to the Father, right before he went to the cross, when Philip said, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. He said, Philip, have I been with you this long and you don't understand? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Because Jesus is the Word of the Father. He's the one who always perfectly reveals Him. So you see, the great promise in answer to the great problem was kept. It was kept. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, Christian. That's what Christmas is all about. The great promise of addressing the great problem was kept. See, here's what it all comes down to. The gift of Emmanuel was God doing for us what we could never do ourselves. No amount of trying hard, trying to be good, trying to do better, it would never cut it. Keeping the law, no one could ever do it. It was too great, too much of a weight. So God did what we could never do, and He gave the gift of His Son. He gave Emmanuel, God coming to us, doing for us what we could never do ourselves. Emmanuel means this. Here's here's what Emmanuel means. God came to man and made it possible for man to come to God. That's, That's what Christmas is all about. That's the miracle of it. God came to man and made it possible for man to come to God. Man ruined the fellowship. Man broke the the presence in the garden. God came and restored it and repaired it. What a God we have. He didn't wait for us to come to Him. He didn't wait for us to get better, to find some remedy for our condition, because there was none apart from Him. He didn't wait for us to come to Him. We never could do that. We never would do that. Sin caused us to turn our own way. Scripture clearly says um, that no one seeks after God in their own human condition apart from Christ. No one is seeking Him. No one is going after Him. We've all turned aside to our own way. Isaiah actually says that. We're, We're like sheep that we just go astray and do whatever we want. So we couldn't come to God on our own. We never would do that. Apart from His work in our heart, we wouldn't seek Him on our own. We wouldn't desire Him apart from Him him doing that in us, creating that in us. That's why the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why. And here's the other thing I want to make sure to point out. The promise of God's presence in Emmanuel, the promise of God's presence, wasn't just a promise for the past. It wasn't just a promise for the people living then, back then. It wasn't just a promise for the Jewish nation. It wasn't just a promise for those that would be the disciples of Jesus, like John and Peter and the others. The promise of God's presence wasn't just a promise for the past, and it's not just a once a year celebration. Around this time of year, you know, we we use the word Emmanuel a lot. You hear it everywhere. We sing about it Emmanuel, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. But very, very often we go forward from December and we don't talk about Emmanuel that much. We don't think about it as much as we did in December. But oh, Christian. It's not just a once a year celebration. And that's not just cliche to say 
that Christmas is, is something to keep all year long. It, it, it's, it's true. That's what's needed because Christmas is all about Emmanuel, the promise of presence restored, and that's not just a once-a-year celebration. For the Christian, for the Christian, the promise of Emmanuel is a present reality and an everyday experience. It's a present reality and an everyday experience. And here's what I mean by that. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17 says this. Jesus speaking. Here's, this is right before he gets ready to go to the cross and right before he's, he's you know, going to return to his father. That sequence of events that's getting ready to start. He says this to the disciples. And really, this, uh, again, the, the promise is to us as well. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper. That's literally another of the same kind. You know, I, I am an advocate. I'm, it's, a, it's, it's paraclete. I'm an advocate for you. I'm going to return to the Father, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another of the same kind. He's going to give you another advocate, another comforter, another counselor, another helper to be with you forever. To be with you. There's the concept of Emmanuel. God with you. God with us. Forever. Verse 17, he, he continues, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells lives, abides with you and will be in you. That's an even greater promise than what Jesus promised by Him being with His disciples. I mean, Jesus was with His disciples, but He was not in His disciples. Church, grab onto this. Through the Holy Spirit... The promise of Emmanuel, God with us, God being with you, takes on a more powerful meaning than ever before because not only was God going to be with us, around us, but through Christ, if you're in Christ, then God with all of His glory and power and holiness is in you. I mean, that, that adds a whole new dimension to Emmanuel, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand. Guys, he say, in fact, later he says, it's to your advantage if I go away, because if I don't, then the, the Comforter, the Spirit, won't come to you, and you need him to come to you, because he's going to be more of Emmanuel than even I am. Because he's going to actually be in you. He's going to take up residence in you. We are the tabernacle or temple of God. There's nothing, there's nothing more true of, of Emmanuel, God being with us, than what the Holy Spirit provides. So what that means for us, and what it, what it meant for the disciples, and it's true of every disciple of the Lord Jesus, every follower of Christ, everyone who truly does receive Him in every age, they're able to receive this reality. They're able to receive this promise. That the promise of God's presence, this is just so good. The promise of God's presence 
didn't end when Jesus returned to the presence of the Father. Rather, it continued and became an even greater reality. That's what happened. In the next verse in this passage, Jesus actually said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, I will come to you. So even though he returned to his Father through his Spirit, and in the Spirit, he would also come and dwell with with the disciples. And that's true of every believer. So my question as I wrap up with this awesome, this awesome promise and the promise being kept, my question to you is, have you received that greatest gift today? Because you're not going to be able to, to have that promise lived out in your life, that promise of restored presence with the God you need to have presence restored with apart from or outside of Christ. It only comes by receiving that greatest gift of Jesus himself. And by receiving Jesus, then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, where God truly does forever become Emmanuel for you in a way that no one else before Christ could ever have experienced. Is that true of you today? That's the question I want to leave you with. And only you can answer that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for being the promise-keeping God that you are. Thank you for the promise of Emmanuel. Thank you for the promise of restored presence with you. And it's only because of your son, it's only through him, and it's, it's by the Spirit that, he, that you sent through your son, that you sent to us in his name. Thank you that the promise that Jesus gave of that other comforter, that advocate, that paraclete, it wasn't just limited to his disciples there and then. It was for all who would be his disciples for all of us who would come to you through your Son, receiving him as our Savior and Lord. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that he is Emmanuel in a way that goes beyond even what your Son was. Thank you that we never have to worry, if we are in Christ, about interrupted presence. Thank you that we can know forever that you are with us. Thank you that we can enjoy your presence forever, here and now, and then perfectly for eternity whenever you call us home or when your Son returns for us. But Father, I pray that if there is someone here that has not yet received that greatest of all gifts, that today would be the day they do, that today would be the day of their salvation, that today would be the day where they step into experiencing presence with you through your Spirit, that they would experience for the first time what it means to know Emmanuel. Thank you for being the God who is with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.